Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suziwala. Not only is Faisal Canada's top real estate broker, he's also ranked within the top five in the world for REMAX. Faisal started his career at the young age of 18 and has been delivering outstanding results for over 30 years, most notably with REMAX Twin City. So he knows a thing or two about real estate and is uh, giving us some of his time today. Uh, hello and welcome, Faisal. Thank you very much for having me on, Brock. Happy to be uh, having you here. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for joining me. And and under somewhat difficult circumstances, I know that uh, that you and Dave Callender have uh, have a long history of working together. And, and maybe you'd like to talk about that for a moment. Yeah, you know, Dave was uh, very special. Uh, we started our uh, a podcast about three years ago, and uh, certainly we had just this amazing chemistry and everything just flowed so well with Dave and uh, certainly just shocked and very saddened and my deepest condolences to uh, your whole team at the station and to his family for this great loss. Thank you, Faisal. And it's uh... It is. It's been challenging the last few weeks, but uh, we will uh, we'll persevere and we'll we'll keep on going. Uh, and, and again, thank you for that, listeners. If you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can also call him directly at 519-624-5555 or through email Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, later in the show, I'd like to take some time to talk with you about uh, your book titled The Real Deal Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Book is currently available on Amazon and Audible and Kindle. And we need to dive into it a bit later on. In the meantime, uh, let's jump right in. We're heading into autumn. What is the current state of uh, of the real estate market? Well, the market has been fairly volatile leading up to uh, the month of August. And then we found that things started settling down a little bit. Uh, most of the bad news regarding interest rates were, it was already announced that rates are going to be going up. So I think a lot of that was factored into the marketplace already. Um, in September, you know, on September 7th, we saw another rate increase, uh, which did have a slowdown effect. But again, a lot of people were already pre-qualified, had their rates locked in. They had already decided that if they were on a variable rate, they would be prepared to lock it in. And I had advised people to lock in for maybe two to three years because typically we do find that, you know, after the banks have secured their five-year money, they're not really rising the rates as, um, as much and they're looking for new business. So they will make it very attractive for people to come in to a new five-year rate possibly two to three years down from now. So price-wise, we did see that um, we had a decline. So we've had, you know, okay, if we go back to March of 2020 to March of 2022, we've seen a 62% increase. And I'm speaking locally in my marketplace in the region of Waterloo. That we've given back about 32% of that. And I do believe that with rates increasing again, and it's expected, most of the bad news has been factored. Now I know that some of the analysts and the economists, and I'm certainly not any of those, have stated that you, we could see a further 10 to 15% decline, but it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens. I would say that we may see a three to 5% decline from here, but nothing drastic because most of that, and, and, and remember, we're still up 30%. Um, which is a significant increase, and it's nothing to complain about over the last two years. And, and I think one of the things that people probably had been seeing is that sort of magical number of a million dollars for a home. And and 
when you see that and and people might want to start moving uh, maybe a little quicker than normal but what you're saying is look even though we've we've come back a little bit we're still we're still ahead of the game yeah absolutely and you know our region was so undervalued for so many years that we all of a sudden saw this blip and things started just going up and de-urbanization due to COVID, we had this mass exodus from the GTA coming into our region. And that was creating a buzz. Um, the only thing that stopped it, in addition to the interest rates uh, for a temporary period of time, was the gas prices, fuel costs. And, you know, folks started saying, okay, if I'm going to spend an extra $600 a month on my fuel costs, I may want to consider living in Milton or in Brampton, where today the prices are about $150,000 to $200,000 more than this region. But if you balance the time and the cost of fuel and the maintenance, you know, it's starting to break even a little bit. And that has stopped people from coming in July and, and, and you know, part of, uh, part of June, when we saw the gas prices hitting over $2 a, a liter, uh, people just were not prepared to come up. But we're seeing the GTA traffic back in our region now. Do you also see an increase in traffic as the summer months wind down? People, you know, we, we all try to get back into routine and those kinds of things. I would assume that making the decision of, of buying and selling a home is, is something that you, you, you put a lot of thought and effort into it, obviously. Um, do people wait until other things have kind of settled down before they make those decisions? You know, they've they've sent the kids off to school or they they've gotten back into their own own routines. Is that is that where we're at right now? Yeah, yeah. Typically speaking, you know, um, March through July seems to be the bulk of the activity that we'll see in the marketplace. Um, with the exception, of the last two years, it didn't matter. It could be the middle of December, we were still seeing significant activity in the marketplace. But yeah, um, just at the end of August to the mid September, uh, we do see a little bit of a lull in the market because they have other priorities. We also see a lull in the market right at the end of June for the first two weeks of July when kids are out of school because people are on holidays and we're seeing that again come back into the marketplace especially with things opening up and people traveling more and whatnot um that may again be impacted with uh rates and you know people's habits because of what we're seeing and the dis- disposable cash that they have may not be available to do all those extra things that they were doing when interest rates were a lot lower okay uh, we know the province has said it, it, it hopes to see this increase in, in new home builds in the next few years. Right now, in your opinion, are there enough homes for our growing population here in the region? Absolutely not. And what we're seeing right now is a pause. And this is an artificial pause because there were hundreds and hundreds of buyers in our region ready at any given time. We were getting 10 to 12, 15 offers on every property that was being listed. So it was just crazy. So, you know, you think to yourself, where have all these buyers gone? What they've done is they've paused and they've gone into rentals and and, and other areas. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But um, we have a 1.5 million home shortage across Canada. Immigration is at half a million new immigrants every year coming into the country. We have we haven't even talked about the 25 year olds that are living in mom and dad's basement that are going to need housing at some point. So where is all of this housing going to come from? Well, here's the challenge. And this is where, you know, we'll talk about, you know, are we in this recession or what what are we actually facing right now? This is very different. Immigration is at an all time high. Employment availability is at an all time high and homes 
are not available. There's not enough homes to house the number of people that are going to need homes. So construction costs, land costs was so high that major home builders have shelved their projects because they're saying, wait a minute, we cannot produce a brand new home for 2,000 square feet, let's just talk in this region, for less than $300 a square foot. So that equates to $600,000 construction cost. Now you take a 40 foot lot, let's just say, a 40 foot lot in this region was being sold for 15,000 a linear foot. Now, what I mean by that, if your frontage of your home is 40 feet by 100 feet deep, that lot value is $600,000. So you take the $600,000 for the land, I haven't even talked about servicing costs. I haven't talked about regional and municipal levies. Um, I haven't talked about the red tape. And we certainly haven't talked about the builder's profit yet. So you take the $600,000 land cost, $600,000 construction costs. We are now at $1.2 million for a 2,000 square foot home, brand new. You can go and buy a resale home today for $900,000 in this region. So which builder in the right mind is going to put that kind of inventory in the marketplace in this time? Now, not to say it will not happen, but I believe there will be a pause on new construction for at least two years. The government has mandated, uh, you know, all kinds of solutions and money, throwing uh, them at municipalities to allow um, more efficient and, and, and swift approvals. Well, bad news. It's not happening. There's right. Try getting a return phone call. Try getting a return email from a municipality. Make an application for a building permit just to build a shed that's above the bylaws requirements. You're going to be waiting six to eight weeks just to get a response. And don't even think about an approval in any short order because that's not going to happen. So, and I've voiced this so many times. So I'm not sure what these solutions are. And if they are solutions, I don't know how they're being implemented. When we take a look at that idea of multi-generational housing, what you're saying is that's a great idea, but if you can't get any sort of permit to put in, uh, you know, an in-law suite or, or redo the basement or anything like that, you're you're really stuck. You can't you can't move forward on that. Exactly. And then, you know, to, to, to magnify this issue, you have a trades issue. It's hard to find trades. Again, we need more people. To bring more people into the country, you need more housing. So this is a vicious cycle. So again, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, we can say, oh, well, I'll make things more affordable. You can't make it more for a, a piece of plywood or, or two by four in, in Kitchener, Ontario is the same in, that it is in Sudbury or in Windsor. So, you know, you can say, I'll go, I'll go move somewhere else and I'll find cheaper housing. But if you're getting new construction and you can't create new construction because the cost is too high. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, we do need to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll spend some time discussing rent control uh, as well as the world of interest rates. So stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion dollar real estate broker, Faisal Susie Wallet. Listeners, if you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, it's no secret that rental rates are skyrocketing right now. And what's driving up those costs? So the unintended consequences of high interest rates have caused buyers, great buyers, with great credit scores, with great jobs, with great income, to pause 
and say, you know what, the market's going to go down. So we're going to rent for a year. So that has driven the rental prices out of control. Well, we were expecting on say a $2,300 uh, uh, a month townhome um, that it would bring that much in per month. We're getting $3,000 a month today. Wow. In addition to that, there isn't enough available housing as we talked about earlier on in the show. Um, and that includes rental housing. So when there is a decent home for rent, it's demanding uh, massive, massive swings on the valuation on that rent. But to, again, magnify that issue, we're seeing that, and a lot of people don't know about this, and this may come as a huge surprise to investors. Um, and until recently, I wasn't even clear on what the regulations were on rent control. So we all know that the government publishes uh, once a year uh, the rate in which you can increase a tenant's rent. And in the last two years, there was no rent increases because of COVID. However, if your home, if the rental dwelling was produced, built after November 15th of 2018, there is absolutely no rent control. And that's a shock to a lot of people when that's they realize it is very dangerous. And tenants are getting sort of caught off guard because they may be paying $1,800 for a unit that was built. Let's just say um, November 15th, 2018, uh, it was built. They moved in December 1st, 2018. And at that time, the rent was $1,800 per month. The next year, the rent went up, I think, 1.3%. The year after that, it didn't go up at all because of uh, COVID. It didn't go up again in 2021. This year, they're expecting, okay, I'm paying, you know, 1850. I'm going to get a 2.5% increase. I'll be close to $1,900 a month for my rent. However, as a landlord who owns that unit, and if it was built after November 15, 2018, there is no rent control. They can charge whatever they wish to charge. So what are the landlords doing? They're upping the rents as much as five to $600 per month. And that will come into effect January 1st for most of these tenants. So that's a huge crisis situation that uh, on an affordable basis that tenants are going to be facing, especially with inflationary times where again, you don't have the disposable cash to spend on other luxuries or even necessities. Now, a greater necessity is your housing and you've just been hit with a 20, 25% increase on your rent. In a in a situation like in in our region where there is a, quite a large student population that that ebbs and flows, it comes in and goes out. I would think that th not having rent controls in those situations gets extrapolated the, the problems because you've got high turnover. The uh, the landlord can look at that and go, "All right, these these folks are moving out. We can we can bump it up again." That that's a bad you know that's a big snowball coming down the hill. Well, you know, it's interesting, and, and, and I kind of understand where this is coming from. So, and, and I'm not 100% sure, but I believe it was until 1998, rent control was on the address on the property. It was not with the tenant. And I believe that maybe there's something in the works from the political perspective where they want to bring back rent control on the property, not on the tenant. So that means that they're trying to create affordable housing so that if, like your example, if a family moves out today that, and, and they were paying $1,700 a month rent, tomorrow, it doesn't matter when that unit was built, even if it was built before 2018, 
as long as that tenant moves out, the landlord can charge whatever rent he or she wishes to charge. But on something that was built November 15, 2018 and onwards, after the first year is done, that landlord can charge the existing tenant whatever they wish to charge because there's no rent control on that unit. So I would imagine that there's going to be something coming down the pipelines because these are all, and you know, we're seeing this with interest rates. We've seen this with inflationary action. Um, we're seeing this with rent control that the government seems to overshoot on their policies on what they want to do. And now they're overcorrecting, but overcorrecting is having all these unintended consequences on people and they just don't know what to do. So I don't really understand where that extra, you know, five or $600 a month is going to come from when these rent increases are going to be implemented. And the, the, the challenges just continue. We also know, uh, and you mentioned this already, the Bank of Canada recently boosted interest rates again. In your mind, what can we expect moving forward? And and why would those things continue to happen? Well, you know, the central bank's role is to control inflation. And it does that primarily by the use of interest rates. And what they were trying to do is when the interest the interest rates were being lowered because they wanted to keep inflation in check. And what they, again, oversteered, went too low, created a supply issue because the demand was so high. By doing by creating that scenario, they created 250,000 surplus transactions in real estate over two years. That's unimaginable. But what happened was people who would not normally have been able to afford to buy a home jumped into the market because all of a sudden it's 1.75% interest rates. So people who were thinking, oh, I won't get into the market in three until three, four, five years from now because I can't afford it, all of a sudden started buying properties. Investors jumped in saying, well, here's a huge opportunity because where our rate of return is going to be great. Uh, there's a supply issue. Our rents are going to be high. Our purchase price is going to, our cost of borrowing is going to be almost nothing at 1.5, 1.7%. So it had the opposite effect, but it created um, transactions in excess of 250,000 homes being sold across Canada. That created a supply chain issue because now you got to create, um, you know, you got to buy blinds and mechanicals and, and, and central air conditioning and furnaces and equipment and new construction started going through the roof as well. So this is what we've been seeing. And, and, and to, to, to make the problem even worse, we had COVID in the middle of all of this, which created a further supply issue. And we still haven't recovered from any of that uh, because we're going to, and even if they could, I think it's almost a situation where manufacturers saw an opportunity and say, hey, we'll hold back supply because we can create more profit by holding back the supply. So the, I don't know what is going to come of this, but it doesn't look great for the next two years, in my opinion. And 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 you've hinted at this already. Many folks have started to toss around the R word, right? So in your opinion, are are we already headed into that recession or is it is it just around the corner where where are we at with that so i like to see deceleration more than recession um just because i'm scared of that word and i've been through a couple of those recessions um and i'll and i'll say but this this one feels different uh 
This feels different because, you know, in the 1990 recession lasted 10 years. So if you bought a home in 1990, that home didn't catch up in value to what you paid for it until 2000. Um, but again, we talked about it earlier on the show. There was no, no immigration, there was no employment, and there was oversupply. So the opposite is happening now. We have tons of immigration, lots of opportunity for employment, and no supply, really, when you look at it. So once this scenario of pause because the, the whole thing with change is that people just don't want to do anything they don't want to create but they're not realizing that yes interest rates have gone up but prices have come down so i'll give you an example back in may of 2020 when the rates started declining quite heavily i had buyers that were qualified to spend six hundred thousand dollars on a home well they ran into the office and said faisal great news we can go up to eight hundred thousand dollars i said that is great news but i have some bad news for you Remember the house you saw two months ago for six hundred thousand? It's now eight hundred thousand. Right. So right. the opposite has happened today because if you've got a certain um, today's buyer is a payment buyer, they're not a cash buyer. So if you've got twenty eight hundred dollars a month or three thousand dollars a month to spend on your mortgage payment, the value of that house needs to match the mortgage payment. So if 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 twenty eight hundred dollars was buying you uh, an eight hundred thousand dollar home back in March of this year, today that $2,800 will buy you a $600,000 home, just as mm. a So those who want to sell their $800,000 home that's not selling because they're still stuck at $800,000 now have had to reduce their prices to $600,000 in order for the payment of that buyer to match the purchase price. And it's very simple. Rates go up, prices come down. And the opposite was happening for the last two years. And and uh, it's interesting you 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 touch base on this, and uh, I just read it actually in your book uh, when you were talking about your parents spending twenty one percent interest on on a on a mortgage, just unheard of. Uh, we are we are uh, running short of time here before the first uh, first half of the show is done, so we will take a break. Uh, we'll get an update from the City News five seventy News Center. When we come back, we'll take some time to talk about Faisal's recent decision to become a published author. Uh, so stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Susiwala. If you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, I have to admit, I've been doing my homework and uh, starting to make my way through your book. Uh, I consider myself to be a lifelong learner. And I figured that someone who has been at this for three decades would know what he was talking about. And sure enough, you haven't disappointed. Uh, you talk about your experience in the past with things like downturns, which we were just talking about. Um, here we are again, after a fairly volatile past six or eight months when it comes to looking at just uh, home prices and so on. Um, what should we be doing to keep our heads above water at this point? I think you have to be very sound in your decisions and, and very thoughtful behind the decisions. You know, we came out of a very impulsive time where people were just making knee-jerk reactions and just, you know, putting the cart before the horse, buying without conditions, without any thought behind it, because they were just waiting for the opportunity for a property to show up. 
It didn't matter what that property looked like because we went from almost zero inventory to a lot of inventory now. So at that time, people were just making decisions, but they were also being very reactive in the marketplace. And of course, people have gotten caught in that and now they're paying the price and the consequences of that. But in crisis is opportunity. And that's what we are seeing right now, that not only is there opportunity from an investment perspective, there's an opportunity from a buying perspective for your first home, for, for you to upgrade your home. Because you can now look at that scenario and say, okay, I don't have to compete with 15 or 20 people today to buy a home. Um, I don't have to overpay. So yes, you were getting a really good interest rate at 1.75% but you were also overpaying for that property. So right. today that's all going to balance out. And we talked earlier on, on the show that, um, you know, the interest rate will create a payment that will match the purchase price. So um, today you can make that decision, buy the house you really want and, and also look at um, wise investment opportunities because yes, we may see a further three to 5% decline from where we are right now. But it's a long game. It's not a short game. And, you know, that flipping, that really hasn't existed for a long time because there hasn't been an opportunity to buy something way, way, way below market and then sell it for way above market value. And also the trades haven't been available to come in and do the renovations and whatnot to flip. So think about a plan where it's three to five years, invest your money. Now I talk about multi-level partnering in my book where, you know, you may not have the funds yourself right now to purchase a property. And you may, let's say, let's talk to some of the young people. You may, you know, you may be 23 to 25 years old, just graduated from university, um, have a decent job, but obviously you don't have the funds saved up to go and buy that first home. And you're living with mom and dad. That's great. So let's stay with mom and dad, but maybe get a couple of friends together or maybe get your family involved, your mom and dad or your brother or your sister or somebody to say, listen, I've got X amount of dollars, but I don't have enough for the full down payment. So why don't we partner up? Why don't we invest in this property together and participate in the investment? And hopefully it goes up. And when you're ready to occupy, there's your home already there. So you're basically right. doing the reverse of buying your home and then in, then leveraging that home to go and buy investment properties buy your investment property today rent it out and until and and let let that equity build up and you're participating in the market and because yes there's going to be peaks and valleys but if you look at the graph historically real estate value has always gone up over time no one's creating more land so that's going to happen i i, I remember talking with a friend of mine and he said it's simple he said when it comes to investment when it comes to real estate anything like that he said two things stay in your house and stay married <laughs> and i thought that's that's pretty good advice uh, i i go back to that point you were talking about these you know 23 to 25 year olds that are graduating with my tongue fairly embedded in my cheek the idea would be why don't we send them back to school get a trade we'll start the whole process and 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 really i mean that that would be a lovely thing for us to be able to do that and and uh, it, it, you know, we, we half jokingly do that, but there's a, there's a great need and you've talked about that already. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and from an investment perspective, uh, you know, we're in very different times today where you're buying a property at a discounted value, in my opinion, and you're getting a premium on your rents where typically 
you're paying a higher value and you're always struggling to get your cash flow up. And I talk about that in my book as well, where, you know, I've never been a cash flow buyer. I've always been an appreciation buyer. So for example, you buy a property for $600,000, you put 20% down and on the old rent two years ago, you would be kind of a break-even proposition or possibly even be out of pocket a couple thousand dollars a year. Right. So people would say, oh, well, I'm, that's negative cash flow. I'm not going to buy that property. But what they weren't realizing that, yes, you bought it for $600,000. And let's say you bought that property in 2017. Well, that property, which was 310000 or 325000 back in 2017, is worth $700,000 today. So does cash flow really matter? So you lost over the last five years, $10,000 negative cash flow, but what you gained is $300,000 or $350,000 in equity. So that was always the mindset that I had that cash flow really didn't matter. Today, the unique circumstances that we have is A, you're getting cash flow and you're getting appreciation. Yes, market values have gone down today. But imagine in two years when things do start recovering, and I firmly believe that it, that we, we will see a downturn for two years. I think the worst news is already out. We may see another 5% decline from here, but it's not going to go to zero. Let's face it. Right. So this is a prime time to start looking at investment opportunities, start looking at buying your home for the first time. If you're thinking about downsizing or upsizing, and if you're in a position where you can sell today and you have a rental property or you have an investment properties. I strongly recommend sell at whatever the high is today, shelf your money for a little while, move into your rental property and buy back when you see the bottom, for, right. for example. And remember, you're also going to be able to get or command a premium on the rent when you go back because it's unfortunate, but we do not have enough housing. So it's going to have a lot of upward pressure on rents. And, and that brings it full circle, right? That, that whole idea. If, if someone came to you for advice on further developing their investment portfolio, you talked a bit about this already. You've mentioned that idea of, of you know, consider selling, you know, the, the property that you've got and, and looking at other things. What would you be telling these people that, that really want to uh, develop their investments that they have already? So it's about it's about reinvesting and leveraging your assets. So I always have this 20% rule where you at any time that you have assets or cash of 20% or access to 20% cash to buy a rental property, you should do it. you should buy it. I was not encouraging people to buy rental properties in the last 2 years because you know when mom and pa is tripping over each other to get that home um, and bidding at three, four, $500,000 over asking, that's not a sound investment for an investor to be making. But today, when there is inventory, when there's calm in the marketplace, um, and as I said earlier, there's always opportunity in crisis. And we're in that time right now where, where you should be looking at your investment portfolio. Uh, I'm certainly not against you know uh, stock portfolios and mutual funds and that type of thing. But if you're looking for a tangible asset uh bricks and mortar um and a lot of people will say well you know it's a real headache managing a property you know i don't want to be a landlord i've heard nightmare stories well if you do your homework up front you do your credit check you do your reference check you do your employment checks you make sure that the people have a decent uh previous rental 
records, um, you can make a very good decision. And especially in times like today where people have great incomes, they have great credit scores and get those folks into your rental properties. Um, you probably won't have a huge headache if you do your homework up front. And then there are management companies that will charge you maybe $100 per unit for, uh, per month, which will give you that ease of uh, mind to know that you're not going to get a call at two in the morning saying, hey, my toilet's not flushing. I need you because you've got someone handling that for you. So those are all important when, things to consider. Absolutely. And with those management uh, property uh, organizations, they've been there for for a while. They know what they're doing, right? So yeah. any headache that you could possibly foresee, they're going to be like, relax, we got you covered. We We know how we're going to handle this one. Yes. And when you have a management company or even a leasing agent, so we rent out a lot of properties ourselves and we also manage, um, we know that we don't want the headache. So we're going to do our due diligence. We're really going to scrutinize that application to make sure that we're not putting somebody in knowingly that we're going to have to deal with as a problem tenant. Absolutely. You need to, uh, you need to make sure that you've got those things in place. They can, that you don't want them to be your headache. We're going to take uh, another break here. Uh, we've just been spending a bit of time talking about the real deal, billion dollar real estate broker authored by Faisal. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's uh, available through Audible and Kindle as well, too. So we'll take this final break uh, on Ask the Experts. When we come back, five myths related to the housing market and also some renovations to avoid. So stay with us here on City News 57. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. He is the author of the book, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Listeners, if you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, what would you consider to be five current myths when we're looking at the housing market? Well, the number one is that sales are down and the market is crashing. So, you know, the, the worlds are colliding, you know, it's the end of the world. Um, so that is a major misconception of the market. Yes, sales are down. But as we talked about earlier, sales were up because of this artificial situation that was created by low interest rates. We talked about 250,000 excess homes sold over two years. So of course sales are down today because we're not having that volume of buyer that would not be able to buy a home at normal interest rates entering the market. The market is crashing. Well, we talked about that, that 62% were up. So we've given back about 32%, but we're still up 30%. I don't consider a 30% decline in the market as a crash. We are still 30% higher than we were pre-COVID. So I think we're doing very well in the marketplace. It's balancing out, it's leveling it out, and it needs to. There's no question. The number two myth is that there are no more multiple offers, no more uh, bidding wars in the market, and I can go ahead now and just lowball the seller. So whatever the price the seller is asking, I'm going to go at $100,000 less. It's almost like the reverse of what was happening uh, before the interest rates started going up. So this really will play into the strategy of the realtor or how you decide to put your home in the market. When the market was going insane back you know, six months ago, we as realtors were pricing homes approximately $200,000 less than what we were expecting to get for that home. 
So if I wanted $1.2 million for a home, I would list it for $9.99. And with the amount of bidding that was happening, that home would end up selling for $1.3 million. So now mm -hmm. we talked about how people were overpaying for that property. So today what's happening is we're not getting that amount of upswing on the valuation, we're still getting up, but not quite as much. So today I will price a home between 50 to $100,000 less than what my expected selling price is. So, but, and by doing so, that strategy still works today. This is not the time to pivot and go into traditional marketing just to say, well, you know, we're not going to get bidding war. So I'm going to now um, start asking a price that's just going to be traditional, where if I want $800,000, I'm going to ask 900 and someone's going to come in at, you know, lowball me. So don't expect that people are going to lowball you. If you're priced right, you will still get the multiple offers. And remember, you still have to sell properties the way people are accustomed to buying. And if we look at our marketplace, our buyers are coming from Milton, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington. So those buyers are still accustomed to making bids in order to buy. The strategy that the realtor implements is going to be very important. And you have to look at the audience that is coming to your property before you decide. So if you're selling to a multi-generational buyer, or if you're selling to someone that you know is going to be coming out of Milton or Brampton, make sure you price that home and market that home properly. So what I'm doing is making sure that I post that listing on that board, on the TREB board, on the Brampton Real Estate Board in order to attract agents from those boards to show my listings. So that's important that you're not pivoting so much to say, oh, we're going back to normal and we're just gonna price normally and we're just gonna market locally and hope that one of our neighbors buys the house. Because if you want the return, you're going to have to look at selling it to people that are uh, moving in from out of town. It's, and and I, it's important for you when you're looking at that, because as you're saying, the, the people that are in those other locales, it's, it's different when it comes to, to, to looking at uh, real estate. You are going to be uh, having to bid with other folks because of just the, 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 the nature of the game in, uh, yes. in places like Brampton and so on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so so pivoting is not really the the answer right now. Uh, the next um, myth is that there are, uh, that homes are taking longer to sell and sellers are going to panic. Right. So so we've had, you know, uh, the market is crashing. There's no more multiple offers. Um, we should now just take the first offer that. So you have to remember, yes, homes are taking longer to sell, but we were used to three to five days. Today is 30 days. 60 days used to be normal. So if your mm -hmm. home's taking 30 days, so this is again, whereas a seller, this is not the time to panic. If your home doesn't sell in the first week, it's not the end of the world. In fact, that was not normal. So no. people are just gotten so used to it's like, oh my goodness, my host has been on the market for two weeks, it's still not sold. Well, that's not a problem. You know, this is the time that people are making thoughtful decisions. There's remember, there's there's 10 times more inventory on the market, or maybe even 15 times more inventory on the market right now than there was. That's why you're not getting, you know, 12 to 15 offers. So everything is starting to balance out again. So no, it's not a time to panic. It's a time to just sort of do the things that need to be done, market the property the way it should be marketed, make sure it shows the way it should be shown and continue on that. And, you know, a lot of times people were saying, well, you know, I don't have to 
in great times, yeah, you don't have to do all those uh, deferred maintenance issues because people were just buying for the opportunity to buy a home. Today, your home needs to be outstanding. It needs to be special. It needs to be, you know, so get those lawns looking good. Get the paint done. Get those windows fixed. Get those bathrooms updated. Get the kitchen upgraded. So do the things that need to be done in order to uh, realize the best value on your home. And um, It's probably a good idea at this point. I, my wife shouldn't have listened to that last 30 seconds, Faisal, but that's, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> there you go. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, and a lot of people are saying, okay, you know, I missed out on the highs of the market. So there are no more record setting prices. Okay. Correct. You may have missed out on the highs of the market, but it was relative. If you mm -hmm. got $200,000 more than you thought you were going to get for your home, chances are you turned around and bought again. So you also paid $200,000 more. So yes, you may have, so you didn't really miss out on anything unless the only winners were if you sold in the beginning of March, cashed out, went on vacation for six months and are coming back today in the market. And believe it or not, I actually have two clients that actually did that. So they're very, very pleased with the decision to sell <laughs> back in March because they're going to come back and buy the same home at a 30% discount. Uh, but that's an anomaly that does not happen often. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the last myth is that with the rising rates that we're going to see all kinds of power of sales and foreclosures. So you got all these vultures out there right now saying, oh, I'm just waiting for the banks to repossess these homes and I'm going to have. So if you remember back in, uh, I think it was November of 2017, uh, the Bank of Canada implemented uh, a stress test. And that's that right. stress test was to deal with this exact scenario. If you were getting an interest rate of 3%, let's say, you still had to qualify on that rate as if it was 5%. So they were already anticipating that the, if the rates go up, people should have the ability to service that debt up to 2% higher than what the current borrowing is. Now remember, 2% higher five years ago, then you factor in if you had, you know, a raise, if with 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 times, if if your income has gone up, if a second income has come into your home. So people's financial positions are not as bad as as buyers may be thinking think that, oh, we're going to be able to go out and buy a home, uh, power of sale and bank repos are going to, you know, those things happened a lot back in 2000 uh, or 1992 to 2004. We used to see a lot of bank repos. I can't remember the last time I've seen a foreclosure or a, bank, or a power of sale. And if it happens, it's just unbelievable because in a market like this, people have got enough equity to sustain and continue and maybe even leverage to continue uh, carrying that property. Um, so don't count on a lot of power of sales and bank repossessions happening right now because buyers have safeguarded themselves through the stress test. And that's important for for all of us to be able to look at that and say, you know, th these these things were put in place really to to protect us, to protect the economy and everything else as well too. Um, we've got a we've just got about a minute left, and I I looked over your list. You'd sent this over to me, and I had to laugh because it says you came up with a list of things to avoid. Uh, number one is wallpaper. I'll tell you right now, I have some family members that would argue that, uh, but I'm 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 fully on board with you uh, with that one. The one that I I looked at and I thought this this I would have thought it was the other way around is is having a pool. Right, right, right. So swimming pools traditionally were not getting a great return. In fact, I'm putting in a pool right now myself because I can see there is good. But what I'm getting at is 
pools, if your entire backyard is being taken up with a pool mm-hmm. and you have no green space available, then that can actually work against you. And we've had people not so you've got to so if you've got a 20 by 40 area in your backyard, I don't recommend putting a 20 by 40 pool in that backyard. You know, downsize that because you've got to have a little area for your kids to play. You've got to have a little bit of a garden, have a dog run, whatever it may be. So it's just you've got to really look at what you've got before. So I'm certainly not against putting a pool in. In fact, homes with pools, we're getting way more money than homes without pools. But if you only have a pool in your backyard and don't have any green space, that's what I meant by that uh, by that note. Well, thanks for clarifying. Faisal, we're running out of time. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Your your knowledge, your passion and understanding of people's needs and their concerns is clearly visible. Can I count on you uh, joining me again in the near future? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. That was Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market. A big thank you to Jordan Malcolm, our technical producer, and thanks to the listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.